Will you please now turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, and we will begin reading at verse 19 to the end of the chapter. But first, let us bow before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God and our Father in heaven, we are proud and arrogant by nature, and we humble ourselves under thy mighty hand and ask that we might be submissive to the teaching of the Word of God, and especially even in an evening service, if there are some who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who have never understood the method of salvation, who know nothing of the saving grace of God in Jesus. We pray that they would be drawn out of darkness and into light, that having come here under condemnation, they would leave justified. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your copy of God's Word and stand. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 19. This is the Word of God. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, perhaps no theologian has better said what justification is all about than William Cunningham, who defined justification as the imputation of the righteousness that God's righteousness required him to require. Now that remark takes us right into the very courtroom of the righteous one posing the question, How is it possible for a lost sinner to be right before a holy God? 
For this righteousness contemplated is completely objective. It is utterly forensic. It is a matter of the prisoner before the judge intensifying the legal question, how shall a man be right with God? But before we can answer the question, we must comment on the backdrop of the legal case that stood against us before Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. And so we first see all men are under sin and guilty before God. In Romans, the first three chapters up to verse 21, argues that Gentile and Jew are alike depraved sinners under the just wrath of God. And the conclusion of that argument is found in those verses 19 and 20. For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being, no flesh, will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what the apostle is teaching us is that original sin, we all are guilty before God. We have corrupt natures. We are bound and dead in trespasses and sins, as he says in Ephesians. And this is actually manifested in our speech and in our actions, and the whole world is culpable under the law of God. Because the law of God demands of sinners perfect personal and perpetual obedience, which no fallen human being can do. None of us can meet that righteous standard. We cannot, verse 20 insists, be justified by works of the law. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, nothing we can do to bring ourselves into a savable estate. And so every mouth is stopped, and the image is awful. Standing before the judge, when asked about evidence of righteousness in his court of law, we have no answer but silence. We are doomed and condemned under the law of God. That illustration from Haldane's life, Robert Haldane, when he was teaching the lost theological students in 19th century Geneva, one of whom was Merle Dobinia, to whom the Bible was a closed book, and Haldane unpacked the theme of corruption of the human heart from the book of Romans, and Dobinia said to Haldane, now I see that doctrine in the Bible. Yes, said Haldane, but do you see it in your heart? That was a simple question, but it came home to my conscience, said Dobinia. Has it come home to your conscience? Has it entered into your soul that you, by nature, are ruined by sin, totally unable to recover yourselves? Does your conscience know this truth of total depravity and the guilt under the law of God, does your soul understand these truths? And this makes the answer to the question, how shall a man be accepted by God? Not only, as Luther said, the standing or falling doctrine of the church, but as Charles Simeon came to recognize when he was converted, it also is the standing or falling doctrine of the soul. 
How are we right with God? And what is the answer for us who drink in iniquity like water and eat it like bread? Well, that leads us to the second thing we see. God himself provided the righteousness that we could not. And so we come to verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Only he himself could provide the righteousness for a right standing in his court of law. And so verse 21 is the dramatic and truly astounding turning point in the discussion of man's real and deep need before God. Law manifests sin, but it cannot save. The law can only condemn, and we cannot produce ourselves this righteousness. And the marvel of this provision of a righteous standing for the sinner is that the inflexibility of the law could not be set aside, not one whit. It could not at all be relaxed. This would be to to change God's own perfections, which of course would not be possible. God could not say, and I always say this very reverently, God could not simply say, forgiven, unless that law's demands were met. God could not say, by divine fiat, I justify you, and the law's demands not be met. The standard of this inflexible law must be wholly met, or we are condemned under its just standard forever. And this God did for us in Jesus Christ. So do not dilute this. There can be no contribution from our side. Nothing that we contribute whatsoever. Our justification is the provision of sovereign grace through the work of the incarnate Son of God. So what then has God provided for us needy sinners? The righteousness of God witnessed to by the law and the prophets, as we can see from Leviticus 16 or Isaiah 53. This righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift, not a work that you perform, but only as a gift. Justifying righteousness is the provision of God's sovereign grace. And that is why this righteous standing is received by faith alone. Because faith contributes nothing but only receives. Christ alone is the object of faith. Faith must look away from itself to Christ. Faith rests in Christ, relies on Christ, trusts in Christ, and faith will no longer allow us to submit to the burden of condemnation. Not when we know that Christ has wrought the righteousness that we need in his work on Calvary's cross. And so if you are here tonight and you are lost, how may you receive this right standing before God in his courtroom? The answer is by receiving by faith with no work of your own, Jesus Christ and his achievement on the cross. So thirdly, how is this justifying righteousness provided? How was it provided? And the answer of verse 24 is by grace alone. 
by grace alone and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's saving kindness despite our ill-deservedness, that's His grace. Freely by His grace, this is the language that is designed to exclude any cause within us, any cause but what God Himself has done in grace. Romans eleven six. if by grace then no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. Any work mingled with grace, it is not grace. Though by grace to us, however, it was of infinite cost to the Son of God, for this justifying righteousness comes to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, the context for the provision of this righteousness for the ungodly that we might know and experience the grace of God is His sacrifice and substitution for us. And fundamentally, redemption means deliverance from the slavery of sin, being set free from an old dominion and master unto a new dominion and master by means of a ransom price. And that ransom price, as we will see in verse 25 in a few moments, was the price of blood. Christ took the sinner's sin in the sinner's place, bore for us the curse of the broken law, and he satisfied all, all, all of the law's demands. So where there is guilt, there must be punishment, and only Christ could be the surety to satisfy the demands of the broken law of God. How is it provided? By grace alone, in the context of redemption, by means of blood. And this means, fourthly, the righteousness provided is consistent with God's own character. And here Paul goes deeply into answering the question, what really is it that happened on Calvary's cross when Jesus shed his blood? And we are not left in the dark. The preceding portion of Romans was about God's wrath. And here is God's own answer to the problem of his own wrath. Both for us sinners who have no means of escaping that wrath on our own, but also Godward. How can God justify, receive, accept sinners and remain just in the process? And the answer to the question is that the same principle that ruined sinners is the principle that must save sinners. And that is the principle of inflexible justice. We are ruined because we are sinners having broken the law of the infinitely holy God. And yet, it is by that same inflexible justice that we are redeemed from the wrath of God. And the answer to that question is found in verse 25 in the words, propitiation by His blood. For propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath. The Puritan John Owen in his work on the book of Hebrews says that there are four essential elements in a propitiation. An offense to be taken away, a person offended who needs to be pacified, an offending person a person guilty of the offense, 
and a sacrifice or some other means for making atonement for the offense. Well, the offense was our sin. The person offended was God. The means of making atonement, in this case, the only means of our justification, the sacrifice of the Son of God in our place. And people of God, do you not see it? Here's the glory of it all. Here's the wonder of it all. Here's the glory of the cross. The human judge has a standard outside of himself to apply and uphold. But God himself, as righteous standard revealed to us in the standard of his law over us, this righteous judge so constituted reality that he can, he can in history, listen, he can substitute himself in the person of his son to die in the place of sinners that have broken his law. What a wonderful reality is the gospel that the judge himself submitted himself to be judged. And so just think on the day of judgment when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We stand before a judge with nail-scarred hands. Those hands speaking peace even then to believers those who have trusted in Christ alone. And so when he says in verses 25 and 26, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Paul does not mean that God never punished sins before the historical event of the cross, or that he forgave sinners without the cross, but that the full penalty was postponed and believing sinners stood before God justified in anticipation of the cross that would happen in history. But now the cross has happened. And clearly, the justice of God has been manifested as Christ has been put forward or set forth by God the Father in almighty love and grace to be our propitiation through faith in His blood. He was set forth in the cross, publicly placarded as we read in Galatians 3.1, and God's justice is completely vindicated. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The problem of how God, the holy, absolutely righteous, transcendent God, the problem of how God can provide for hell-deserving sinners a righteousness that is consistent with God's own righteous character is solved in the depths of the transaction on the cross. Tis mystery all. We sometimes sing, and isn't it? Tis mystery all. Thornwell said, The doctrine of substitution is unquestionably an ultimate principle in the moral government of God. God cannot absolutely pardon, He can only transfer the punishment. He cannot set aside the sanction of His law, but can only give it a different direction. Who then can save, save from going down into the pit? 
It was reserved for wisdom, the wisdom of the eternal, to answer this solemn question. And so God, in infinite wisdom, finds in His Son the only one who can satisfy the justice of God. And Thornwell goes on to say, in the scheme of redemption, God visits the transgressions of sinners in the person of the Son. The law is executed to its utmost rigors, and God is just, perfectly and glorious, just in justifying those who believe. Their sins have been their sins. Do you trust in Christ? Your sins have been as truly punished as if they had been consigned to the darkness of hell. You know, some additional depth dimension is added in this passage by viewing the probable connection between verse 25, propitiation in His blood, and Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. And it seems that Paul had before him the typology of that passage when the high priest once per year entered and took blood sacrifice into the most holy place and sprinkled it on the propitiatory, on the mercy seat, the cherubim on top, the law underneath, God looking down. And now God is not hidden behind a cloud of incense. His love is plainly manifest in the cross as His righteousness, the righteousness that God's righteousness requires for believing sinners to be justified, the claims of justice not disregarded, but have been fully met in Jesus' shed blood on the cross. And how long will you, believer, be accepted by God? The words of George Smeaton, Christ is our meritorious redemption, our infinite ransom in the objective sense that He will continue to be so while His living person endures. There the judge beholds the church's redemption, and every time he looks on the person of Christ, he sees our eternal ransom. Listen, if you are here and you do not know Christ, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And the only blood that could be shed, that could be saving blood, propitiatory blood, the blood that satisfies divine justice, is the blood of the Son of God. But if your trust is in the Son of God, as long as His living person endures, so will your justification in God's court of law. Well, there's so much more, but we must see one other thing. Fifthly, the glory, the glory, the glory goes to God. Glory to God. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And this is the fourth time in this passage that justification is said to be by faith. And he'll mention it four additional times in verses 28 through 31. Faith, you see, adds nothing. It has no creative ability of its own. It simply receives. It simply depends. And therefore, faith upholds the truth of grace because we contribute no work of our own. Rather, we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Verse 28. And therefore, Luther's translation of this passage, alone by faith, so criticized and scoffed at by Rome, is completely upheld by the context. Both depraved and helpless Jews and Gentiles, 
must also be justified by faith. That is, the whole world that has been condemned can only be justified, whether Jew or Gentile, by faith, which is the point of verses 29 and 30. By faith in the crucified one, the law is upheld and Christ's righteousness is imputed to believers and received by faith alone. So what is faith? Saving faith? Faith in Christ? What is it? An old divine defined it this way. It is the flight of a penitent sinner unto the mercy of God in Christ. The flight of a repentant sinner unto the mercy of God in Christ. Have you flown to the mercy of God in Christ? And therefore, people of God, the glory of this method of salvation and what has been done for us through Christ Jesus our Lord means that all of our boasting cannot be in ourselves. What did we do? What did we contribute? All of our boasting must be in the cross. I mentioned Haldane earlier. I remember Haldane writing somewhere, it is the purpose of God to stain the pride of human glory. And indeed, that's true. And so verse 27 speaks of our boasting. What then becomes of our boasting? Well, it is excluded, shut out. This passage is a grand and expansive proof of our call to boast solely in Christ, alone in the cross. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. No wonder then this passage has been called by a German theologian quoted by Charles Hodge, No wonder someone has called this passage the Acropolis of the Christian faith. If Paul had not dealt with salvation comprehensively in Romans up to chapter 11, which he did, but if he had not, if he had only dealt with this section in in chapter 3 that we have read, if he had only dealt with that, only justification by faith, then still he might have concluded the discussion with the words at the end of chapter 11, oh, the depth, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory, the glory All of the glory goes to Him because your salvation is all of grace from first to last. Come to Him. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Cling to Him. Rest in Him. Find your acceptance in Him. The wrath of God is removed only in Christ. Glory to God. Amen and amen.